Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I have a great episode for you. This week on the show, I have for you Jerry Detweiler. Jerry is the Education Director for NAV, which is a company that helps match small businesses to financing. Jerry has had a wonderful career as an expert in credit, where she has published five books, answered over 10,000 credit questions on her website, askjerry.com, and has even testified before Congress on the topic of credit. With all that in mind, I am very happy to have her on the show today. She is a very well-qualified guest to talk about credit, so let's go ahead and bring her on. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, it's so great to have you here. We have a director of education here, someone who's definitely an expert in credit. But before we really jump into the main, let's say, meat and potatoes of the episode, would you mind going a little bit into your background and NAV and what y'all do? Yeah, so NAV matches small business owners to financing options. We're a marketplace, not a lender. We make it easy for business owners to get the financing they need. And I've been in the credit and financing field for a long time now. And I really enjoy helping people find reliable answers to whatever their credit or financing question may be. So I'm typically not tied to a particular solution, but really want to help people find out what works for them. Nice. And I don't know if we talked about this, you know, before we started recording, but I'm actually a commercial credit analyst. So as far as businesses go, this is actually my field as well. As far as advice goes, Alex, I loved your episode on how you establish credit, and I thought your advice was spot on perfect. So I think you do know a little bit about what you're talking about as well. (laughs) Well, thank you. I've got to admit, I was half expecting you to come on here and be like, well, let's talk about some misconceptions. And I'd like to reference your episode. (laughs) Not at all. All right. So another question I had for you, you said you guys match small business owners to lending solutions. So I'm curious, outside of the traditional like banking or maybe angel investors, what other types of financing are there? Business financing is so much different than consumer financing. On the consumer side, we pretty much know the products, auto loan, mortgage, credit card, personal loan. Those are pretty much the basics. On the business side, you can have all kinds of financing, equipment leasing, invoice factoring, purchase order financing, lines of credit. There are many online lenders. There are traditional lenders like banks. So what happens is it often becomes overwhelming for small business owners. They don't even really know what's out there. And so they end up taking whoever markets to them best and taking that product as opposed to really seeking out the financing that's right for their situation and also best for them at that time. Gotcha. And another question I had, just hearing that explanation, do you guys maybe aggregate and find like the best deals, sort of like uh, an independent insurance agent would? Or do y'all just sort of hear all the bids? Or do y'all even get bids? It's not bids per se, but we do match business owners to financing from lenders or financing sources looking for businesses with profiles like theirs. And we don't sell leads to lenders. So By using NAV to find financing, you aren't going to get calls from lenders. Instead, you'll get matched to options. And if you want to talk to someone on our team about the options that you're seeing or understand better what might be a fit for you, then you're able to do that as well. Gotcha. That definitely sounds like a useful service. Like It definitely needed one as well, because a lot of people think they're just restricted to whatever banks are around them. But I think we're sort of putting the cart before the horse, because I had planned on business credit being one of the last things we talk about. But... Let's go ahead and get back on track here. And it's completely my fault. But, you know, 
That's just how I roll sometimes. A little bit of ADHD sprinkled into your interviews. <laughs> so, Jerry, would you mind going into a little bit more detail on what you do specifically? Yeah. So as education director, my goal is to help business owners understand their options and also get prepared for better financing because for most business owners and consumers too, right? Business owners are consumers. They also have personal finances and personal credit and personal credit does play a role even in the small business financing arena. My goal is to make sure they have as strong as possible qualifications so they can get the best financing at this point in time. And also if there are gaps to work on those so that in the future, they can get better financing. A great example would be if you are a young business, a startup, your options are going to be much more limited than if you have a couple of years under your belt as a small business owner. So in the meantime, you may have to use things like credit cards or other forms of financing. But as you develop that time in business, then new opportunities open up to you. One of the things that sets NAV apart is we are the only place where business owners can check and monitor their business credit along with their personal credit for free. And so that's another reason that business owners may use NAV is to be able to check and understand what's going on on their business credit reports along with their personal credit while they're looking for financing options. That all sounds very interesting. And I'd hate to really simplify the at least the first part of what you said, but as far as the first half of what you said and the working with business owners and putting them in the best position to apply for that financing, is that sort of a coaching relationship or just sort of a, I don't even know what other word for it. I'm just thinking coaching. It's through a variety of online resources that we provide. So we provide information online, webinars. I do podcasts like this. And we have online guides that direct them through topics such as building business credit. Gotcha. And you know what? We done did it again, talked about business credit, which I mean, it's definitely one of your strong suits. So I definitely want to get to that. But first, I want to go into something that you had referenced a little bit before, and that was on personal credit and something I had really referenced, uh, misconceptions with credit. So I was wondering, I mean, you have a very long and seemingly successful career in credit building, whether that be on the personal side or the business side. So I was wondering, in your opinion or with your experience, what do you think are some of the biggest credit misconceptions? I think on the consumer side, the biggest misconception is that you have a real credit score out there. And if you can find that one credit score, that's your real credit score. And that number is going to unlock all your opportunities. Most consumers do not realize that there are 50 plus versions of FICO scores. You have Vantage score and you have lenders that customize credit scores for their own purposes. So the chance that you're going to see the same number that a lender uses to make a decision, much less that you're going to know what number they're looking for, are very slim. So I try to encourage people not to focus so much on the number as what's really influencing their credit scores, what's strong, what needs some work, and where can I have the most impact. You can spend a lot of time, for example, disputing inquiries. Inquiries are a small percentage of your credit score, and they don't even count after a year. So maybe if you're a victim of fraud, you want to get those inquiries so they aren't showing up and affecting your credit score. But that's not going to have a major impact on your credit score. So I want individuals, whether they're consumers, business owners, or both, to do the things that have the most impact. 
and to let the rest go so, so that you're focused on results and not on a lot of busy work. I completely agree because I see a lot of people who are, well, you know, is this one the real score? Is this one the real score? I mean, the real score is whichever one your lender decides to use. Exactly. If you focus on, oh, let me get this uh, FICO score to be the best thing. Oh, well, you want this car loan. They use advantage score. Oh, well, whoops. All of those scores, they don't exist in a vacuum. The scores are a numerical calculation of what is in your credit report. So as long as you maximize how good your report is, the score, I would think, should follow. Yes. And you will drive yourself crazy if you try to figure out why your credit score is changing from month to month. <laughs> I know this from experience, Alex. I recently checked my credit score. It had gone down 14 points. 14 points? Why? What did I do differently? There really wasn't anything that was a clear indication. And in fact, Vantage Score says a 20 score fluctuation in any given time period is statistically insignificant. Doesn't really mean much. So you're looking at the factors and the trends over time. It's sort of like when you're trying to get in shape or you're trying to lose weight and you think you're doing everything right. And then you step on the scale or you take that measurement and you're realizing, hey, it's not happening like I thought it should. Well, the same thing will happen with your credit scores. You want to focus on the things that really matter. And just like getting healthy physically, getting healthy financially when it comes to your credit means things like making sure that your bills are paid on time and keeping those debt levels down and not applying for credit just because the clerk at the retail store said you could get 10% off that. $200 purchase. Those are the things that you can do that are going to benefit you no matter which version of the credit score the lender is using. Absolutely. And I really hate, I have a sore spot for department stores that try to push those credit cards on you. Like, yeah, you know, you can save 25% today. You know, that's, I mean, look, you got a $100 purchase. That's $25 straight cash. And even if you don't get approved, we'll still give you $5 off. That's a new one that I found out about this weekend. But it's like, Oh, so I can save $25 today, or I could open this credit card, have, you know, an additional card on my account, have the inquiry on my account, and then you know what? If I make one purchase and don't pay it off in two months, then I've made that $25 back and gave that to them, which I would have, you know, not saved in the first place. Like, it's just such a bad deal. And I'm not opposed to retail cards, but I will tell you a funny story, Alex. Uh, my mother, my sister, and I all ended up with a missed payment at the same retail store. We each have a credit card from this retail store. And I opened mine because I was doing a big back-to-school shopping trip. And it, I did the math, and I felt it was worth it. And I didn't have any open retail cards at the time. What happened was, because that bill was not in our normal rotation of bills that we normally pay each month, it got forgotten. And so in my case, I did get a notification and I made the payment before the 30-day due date was up. So I did have to pay interest on the purchase, but they waived the late fee. But in my sister and my mom's case, they both ended up with a 30-day late on their credit report and the retailer refused to remove it. So this is another warning I want to make about retail cards. They often have higher interest rates. Again, unless you're getting a really good discount, it may or may not be a good deal to open it as far as your credit is concerned. And then there is that issue that if you're not 
used to paying that bill, you may forget about it and you may end up with a late payment. And finally, most of these retail cards have a low credit limit. So that means if you do make a major purchase, it could show up on your credit report as high utilization or high debt usage, which is where they compare your credit limit to your balance. I have a friend who called me after the holidays a couple years ago. She was freaked out because her credit score had dropped something like 40 points. Turns out she had a retail card with a $1,000 limit. She had spent about $700. And then her credit score dropped. And she said to me, well, I pay it off in full. Why would it affect my credit? Well, most issuers report around the close of the billing cycle. They don't wait till you make your payment. They report it around the time that they send you their bill and say, this is how much you owe us. So she had 70% utilization or debt usage on that one card. I told her, you're paying it off in full, wait till next month, see what happens. And sure enough, it popped right back up because now she had a zero utilization on the card. But those are just several reasons you need to be careful about these kinds of cards. I'm not saying don't get one, but do think carefully about it, whether it's really worth it, whether that's a relationship with that retailer that is worth maintaining as opposed to another card you have in your wallet where you might get cash back, airline points, or whatever else it is that you want to earn. See, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's my thing. My problem is I don't think that the retail store credit cards are worth it. I mean, when you have cards out there that are giving you two times cash back or 3% cash back at certain places, or you're going to get airline miles, or you're going to get this, like, to me, the value proposition isn't there. Like you go to say JCPenney and you're going to go and sign up for their credit card. It's like, sure, you get that $25 off today, but then what? Just a flat 1% rewards rate? I mean, you can do better than that, like almost anywhere. Like, sure, you get that spare $25 at the beginning, but I mean, if you're trying to open this credit card and have it for a while and handle it responsibly, there's just so many better cards out there than just the one you were pitched in 10 seconds while you were checking out. I do agree with that. I will say that for someone who's starting out, sometimes a retail card with a low limit can be an easier card to get. So I know you mentioned in your other episode about secured cards and authorized users, which are a great strategy for establishing credit, but retail cards can also be a way. When I started building credit myself, my credit union would not give me a credit card. I was just out of college, didn't have a great credit history, and they said no. But Sears gave me a credit card. (laughs) Now, I got into some debt that I shouldn't have had at that young age because of that Sears card, but it did establish my credit history. And then once I had that card, it was very easy to qualify for others. So that could be one potential advantage if you were just starting out. Absolutely. And to go along with your point, for a lot of financial products, they're right for some people, terrible for others. So, I mean, we can give a blanket statement, but those blanket statements we give knowing that, you know, a majority of people might see it this way. But like you said, for these store cards, because they have such a lower, let's say, barrier to entry, they might be right for someone with poor credit or someone who's trying to establish their credit because of those lower barriers to entry. So I can say from a rewards perspective, they may not be the best move, but for someone in the situation you laid out, yes, they may make sense. I just think that was an excellent way to throw a disclaimer in here that any advice we give should be considered general. And what advice we're giving is not really advice because I'm not a registered investment advisor and I doubt Jerry is. So do your own research. I love disclaimers. (laughs) 
<laughs> I try to be smooth with them because I don't know. I just find I just find it sleazy when you have the I'm going to talk at two times speed and half the volume and just right. run through the disclaimer. <laughs> it's like, what did you not fully understand what I was telling you? That's right. Oh. All right. So besides disclaimer, so we've gone into it's not the score that matters. It's the report, because no matter how they're calculating the score, the scores are based off of the report. We've talked a little bit about building credit. We've talked about credit cards and we've talked about misconceptions. So something I want to talk about is we've established that it's not really the score. It's the report. So what are some ways, say we have someone who either doesn't have much credit or someone who doesn't have the best credit and they're trying to build and or improve their credit? What kinds of strategies are available there? On the improved side, it depends on what's mainly impacting the credit score. So the two most likely culprits are going to be debt usage or utilization, which we mentioned, and that compares your balance on your revolving accounts, like your credit cards. Revolving accounts are ones where you can borrow, pay back, and go back and borrow again. That, that calculation compares the credit limit to the balance on each of those cards and usually all of them in the aggregate as well. So you could be doing very well on three of your cards, but if one of them has high, very high debt usage, that could affect your credit score. So the strategy for that particular factor, and that's one that I often encourage individuals to look at because it can have a very quick impact. You pay down a balance or you refinance and pay off that credit card, you could see the new balance reflected in the credit score as soon as the credit bureau has that new information. So there's no magic number there. It's going to vary, and part of it will depend on your credit history itself. So I'm older. I have an established credit history. If I go up to 40 or 50% debt usage on a credit card, it probably won't make a big difference. But I can tell you some of my coworkers at NAV who are in their 20s and have a short credit history, they're just establishing credit, they've followed this factor and they've seen swings of 40 points just by going from 20% debt usage to, say, 27% debt usage. So you have to find that sweet spot for you. So what's the advice I give here? The advice is, first of all, Try to get all your cards down to a reasonable debt usage. If it has to start at 70% because you're maxed out on everything, that's fine. Start at 70%. Then try to get them all down to, let's say, 50%, 40%. The usual ideal range is somewhere lower than 20 to 25%. FICO says that consumers with the best scores use about 10% of their available credit, but my friend, Barry Paperno, who worked at FICO for many, many years, said most co consumers can fall in that 20 to 25% range and they'll be just fine. See what happens. When you get to the point where you're not really seeing much shift in your credit score, then fine. Then you've done what you need to do and you can look at if there's other factors on your credit that you want to address. Alrighty, well, that sounds fantastic for someone who's building their credit. Now, I just want to push down a little bit harder. What about someone who has newer credit? I tell you what, let's let's do something a little bit interesting. Since we're building up my old episode about a couple weeks back where I mentioned maybe getting a secured loan or a secured credit card and using that to sort of establish your credit, let's say we have someone in that situation. Maybe they've just established their credit within 12 months and they just have that one account on there. What are some things that they can do to really build their credit and really start it on the right track? Well, of course, 
paying on time is going to be key. So at least making that minimum payment on time every single month. I love to set up things on auto pay so that you never miss a minimum payment because if you do, your credit score will sink dramatically. And the better your credit score, the more that late payment will have an impact on your credit. So be very careful about that. Second, of course, keep down that debt usage. So monitor those balances, especially around the time that the billing cycle is about to close. This is on your statement. You can go to your credit card statement. It will tell you the day that your billing cycle closes. And maybe five days ahead of that day, take a look at your balance, compare it to the credit limit, and ask yourself, hey, do I need to go online and quick make a payment to bring that number down? That may be helpful. The other thing is you want a mix of credit. So if you only have a credit card, for example, or only have a student loan, you probably don't have a good mix of credit. So you could fill it in with an account of a different type. So on the credit card side, that could mean getting a secured card, like you mentioned. On the installment side, it could be getting a credit builder loan. And those are loans where you borrow a savings account, you make payments, and when you're done, you get the savings account, get the money in the account for you to spend. So that's an option to add what's called an installment account to your credit profile. And then the other factor that is important but harder to address, and it's what you talked about in your episode about establishing credit, that's credit age. You do get credit, so to speak, for having experience with credit. So the older your credit history, the better. And that's hard to fudge. You've either had credit this long or you haven't. So the strategy that can work there is to become an authorized user on someone else's credit card, one that has a long established credit history, low debt, and a good payment history. When my daughter turned 15, I added her to my credit card so she would have a credit card for emergencies. Fortunately, she's never overspent on it, (laughs) but she has an excellent credit history as a college student because she's benefiting from my entire account history. The entire account history from day one appears on her credit report, and so that's benefiting her credit history. All righty. So something I wanted to, something I've been thinking about here for the last 30 seconds since you said it, this is something I've never heard of, but a credit builder loan where all of your payments goes to a savings account. So A, I just think that's interesting in and of itself, but just me kind of spitballing here and this being a personal finance podcast, I'm sitting here thinking you can kill two birds with one stone with this. So if you're trying to build an emergency fund and your credit, it might be that you go and you set up one of these loans where your payments basically just go, you know, the principal quote unquote would go to a savings account that ends up being yours at the end and then you're paying interest, but you sort of charge yourself interest to force yourself to build an emergency fund. So you set up this loan to where it's, say, $500 a month, just for the ease of math, do that for 10 months, and then boom, you've got a little bit less than $5,000 because of interest. But A, you've built your credit by getting the loan, and B, you now have your emergency fund. Like I just think that would be, like I don't know how this works. So I mean, I'm assuming that's how it sounds, but I feel like that'd be an interesting sort of hack to use. Yes, I really like these accounts for a couple of reasons. And one is that they're accessible to just about anyone. So even if you have bad credit or no credit, this is a way to establish that account. And what we've seen with younger individuals in particular is that a lot of them are fairly debt averse. They might use, say, a debit card instead of a credit card because they don't want the temptation of running up debt. 
They may not even like the idea of a secured card because they're tying up that deposit. And so saving toward a savings account where you get the money at the end is very appealing to them. There are a few companies that offer these. One of them, Credit Strong, they just released a study where they studied 50,000 credit builder accounts that they hold for their customers. And say, they said the average account holder increased their FICO score eight, which is a very commonly used FICO model, by more than 25 points within three months of using a credit strong credit builder account. And they said after nine months, the average improvement increased to almost 40 points. So you definitely uh, have the potential to see a positive impact. And I think it's especially strong for someone who doesn't have much of a credit history, is having trouble rebuilding their credit, and perhaps doesn't have another type of installment account, like an auto loan, mortgage, or student loan reporting as active and open on their credit file. Yeah, I think overall it's just a it's just a win. I mean, sure, you're charging yourself interest to be building a savings account, but if you're doing it with a double whammy approach, I mean, you're not trying to build the savings account. That's just sort of an idea I had. You're trying to build your credit, but if you can at the same time build your emergency fund, then that's. I mean, look, I'll take two birds in the bush and one in the hand. The however that works, <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take double. That's right. Now <laughs> the caution is, of course, you have to pan time. If you are ex- overextending yourself and committing to payments you can't make, those could end up as negative payments on your credit report, and that's going to defeat the purpose. So do make sure that you pick a credit builder program with a payment that is affordable within your budget that you can stick with. It's not something where you're going to say, I don't have the money this month, I'm not going to pay, because if you don't, then it can be reported as a late payment on your credit report. Absolutely. And I mean, if you ask me, that's one of the other benefits of this. I mean, you get to choose that payment. Like, okay, do you want to pay back, you know, $5,000 in 10 months or $8,000 in 10 months? I mean, you can really set this up. You don't need this loan. Like, it's not like you're trying to borrow the money. You're using it as a tool to build your savings and build your credit or maybe just build your credit. So you can choose. Do you want your payment to be $100 a month? Okay. Do you want it to be $500 a month? I mean, when I did my personal loan, which established my credit, it was either seven dollars or $800. And I did it over six months. So with interest, it ended up being like maybe $120 a month. Which, I mean, you can make the loan as small as you want. And boom, you get that double whammy of additional savings and building credit. I know I keep saying that phrase over and over again, but I really want to make sure if you take away one thing today, that's it. Yes. And the challenge has been, in many cases, to find a lender who will work with you, who will give you a savings-based loan and who also will report it to all the major credit bureaus. And so these companies like Credit Strong, like Self, I'm not affiliated with them. I just think it's a cool product. They offer this almost nationwide, if not nationwide. So it's very accessible to many consumers, as opposed to trying to find a local bank or credit union that will work with you, which if you can, that's great, but it can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Hot diggity. You know what? I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that I like it. I like it. I like (laughs) it. I'll send you you the study too, so you have it. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely love it when people come prepared with data and statistics, because I'm a nerd. That's why I was looking down. Sorry, I was looking at my phone to pull that up. (laughs) Oh, it's no problem. I saw you looking at it. I was like, ooh, okay, we got got real numbers. All right. (laughs) 
Alrighty, so I think we've really talked about misconceptions. We've talked about building and improving credit, and I think it's about time we move on to our last bit. I know we've kind of already spent a few minutes this episode talking about business credit, but because of my audience, I'd like to stick more towards the entrepreneurial kind of route. So as far as small business owners, let's say new entrepreneurs, maybe either they haven't started their business yet or they're maybe 12 months into it. What are some financing options for them? What are or really, what's the credit landscape for them? There are many, many entrepreneurs in that situation. In fact, we're seeing a record number of small businesses start up through the pandemic. So we will see many business owners in this position of wanting to start and grow their business, but they're concerned about accessing financing. And there are some misconceptions here. The first is that it's easy to get a grant to start a business. It's actually very difficult to get a grant to start a business. So I don't recommend you spend too much time trying to seek out grants. Instead, I would look at what financing you may have available. Many business owners do rely on friends and family, but an extension of that these days are crowdfunding platforms. So if you have friends or family who might be willing to help you get your business off the ground, what you might want them to do is seed a crowdfunding campaign. So you think of sites like Kickstarter or their equity crowdfunding sites like WeFunder, where you're raising, you're you're basically selling stock in the business to other people. There's a site called Kiva, K-I-V-A.org. They're a nonprofit. They charge 0% interest, zero fees on their loans of up to $15,000 in the U.S. So that may be another place to get some startup seed funding for your business. The other thing you'll probably want to think about is getting a business credit card. Most business credit cards, they make the decision based on the owner's personal credit score and income from all sources. So that could be if you still have a day job. It could be if you have a spouse or partner who'd be willing to help out if money was tight one month. You could put their income on the application. You can get that business credit card and use it exclusively for business purchases, and that could either separate your business and personal credit or even provide some seed financing for your business. Very popular with startup businesses. The idea that you're going to go out, though, and get venture capital or angel funding or grant if you just have an idea is probably unrealistic. So you're going to have to get a little bit scrappy. As your business gets older, of course, as I mentioned earlier, more options open up to you. The two-year mark is almost a magic number for most businesses in terms of getting true business financing. Absolutely. Two years is always the magic. And I can guarantee you that as long as you're making enough money and you've been around for at least a year or two, banks banks will look at you favorably. That's you know, right. Assuming you're actually earning anything. That's right. I should mention one other type of financing for uh, younger businesses, and that's called trade credit or supplier credit. And that's where these companies, they want you to buy their products or services. They don't want you to go to the competitor. And so they will let you buy and pay later. And many of these companies don't check personal credit, don't report to personal credit, and some of them report to business credit. So they help you build your business credit rating. I do have a list of those at nav.com forward slash vendors with an S, just V-E-N-D-O-R-S. And that can be another way to build in some cash flow initially for your business, but you will need to pay it in 30 days. And if you don't, you'll have a late payment on your business credit. Talk about starting off on the wrong foot. So, yeah, I'm just starting my business credit. Let me just get this loan. And oh, 30 days in, already defaulted. Yeah, that, that would be a problem. <laughs> now, I do want to throw this out there just from my experiences as a commercial credit analyst. And this is going to sound obvious, but you know what? I'm going to throw it out there anyway. 
don't cheat on your taxes. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> like there are a lot of small business owners that either hear it from somewhere or think it themselves, where it's like, hey, I can't cheat on my normal personal taxes because, you know, everything I do gets reported to the IRS outside of me. So I really can't cheat. But once you're a small business, there's a lot more opportunities there. And don't do that because what's going to happen is you're going to start doing that. Maybe you get a little bit of a tax break. And then finally, if your business grows, you get to the point where it's time to get, you know, bigger financing deals. You want to finance maybe opening a new store or maybe open a storefront if you've just been operating out of your garage or, you know, you're going to want bank financing or some kind of big financing. And what we're going to want is we're going to want your tax returns. We're going to look at it and the amount of income you're showing on your tax returns isn't going to justify your size. And so we're going to decline you. And then you're going to turn around and say, oh, well, hold on. Those aren't my real. That's just what I tell the government. Hold on. Here's my receipt book. Here's the actual sales I get. This is the stuff. This is the cash stuff I get that I'd never report because it doesn't go through my system. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So can you approve me based on this? Well, first off, you just admitted to tax fraud, which the IRS uh, tends to be <laughs> very uh, non-liking of that. Uh, secondly, you just reported that tax fraud to one of the most heavily regulated industries in the United States. And three, as soon as we close your loan, they're assuming we accept your tax fraud and we close the loan anyway, which isn't going to happen. We have internal review, external review, auditors and regulators who are all going to come looking at your loan. And, you know, they're going to find out. Don't cheat on your taxes, because eventually if you're going to have if you're planning on having a good, strong business that's going to make you a ton of money and make you rich, you're eventually going to need to get a bank loan. And if you're cheating on your taxes, we're going to find it because you get dedicated people like me who do nothing but look at tax returns all day. Just don't do it. Just don't. I can't agree more. And we saw this so clearly during the covid crisis where business owners had access to grants and completely forgivable PPP loans from the government. And I can't tell you, Alex, how many business owners I heard from who said, I don't qualify because I don't show any profit in my business, or I have a cash business and I don't show any revenues on my tax return, so I don't qualify. Well, you don't qualify. You haven't been paying taxes on the money you earn, and so you don't qualify. The other, the other way it can come back to bite you is personally, because if then you go to get a personal mortgage, for example, and you don't show the income to qualify, then that's going to be an issue. It's going to block you from your personal financial achievements as well as business. So I can't agree with you more. And the number one thing that I tell business owners these days when it comes to financing your business is to have a business bank account, run only business expenses through that account. If you need to pay a personal expense, pay yourself and then pay that personal expense and then make sure your business bookkeeping is up to date. And you're right, especially when it comes to traditional financing through banks, they're going to want to see tax returns. They may want to see financial statements. They are, like you said, they're very regulated, but at the same time, that can be the best money your business can get in terms of interest rate and uh, terms. So you do want to position your business so that eventually you can walk into that bank with confidence and get a line of credit or a term loan or commercial real estate financing at a really good rate. And that's one of the things you're going to have to do to get there. 
Absolutely. So remember, kids, this whole last third of the episode has been brought to you by the United States Internal Revenue Service. (laughs) 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 Finally got my first sponsor. (laughs) No, but seriously, you you are going to end up in a pinch if you cheat on your taxes. A lot of times what the IRS likes to do is they like to let you cheat for a couple of years. So that way they can hit you harder when they finally come and get you. So they don't come get you immediately. They just wait. Hey, let's see if he's dumb enough to do it again this year. Oh, there we go. (laughs) That's right. All righty. So on that happy note, I think it's about time to start maybe transitioning to the end of the episode here. So, Jerry, where can my audience go to find out more about you, more about NAV, and maybe some more resources on credit that maybe we haven't mentioned yet? You can sign up for NAV at NAV.com. So it's just N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, V as in Victor.com. If you put in a forward slash podcast, you'll come to a page where you can download my free Build Your Business Credit Checklist. I'll show you how to build business credit if you don't know how that process works. And then if you have individual consumer or personal questions about credit, I answer those at askgerry, G-E-R-R-I.com. Well, all righty then. And as usual, ladies and gentlemen, all of those links that she mentioned, not just 10 seconds ago, but throughout the entirety of this episode, all of those links will be in the description below. So, Jerry, do you have any maybe last second words of wisdom or maybe your mic drop takeaway that you'd like to leave us with? Check and monitor your credit and do it both on the business and the personal side. If there's something that shows up, you could be a victim of identity theft like I was, or you could just discover that there's something you could be doing a little differently that might make a meaningful impact in terms of your credit and the financing you get down the road. Absolutely. Definitely want to be having a regular routine of checking your credit every couple months. Remember that you can get three of them for free every year, one from each of the bureaus, and that is going to be at annualcreditreport.com. That link is going to be in the description below. It's been in several episodes now, but look, feel free to use it. It's a free resource. You get to use it three times a year. Use it. And Alex, if it helps, I've written a list of 138 places you can get your credit scores for free. You don't need it from 138 places, but at least that way you could be monitoring your score with each of the bureaus for free. And that's another great way to help see what's going on and protect yourself in the case of potential identity theft. Oh, yes. Definitely hit me with that link, and I will include that in the description below. All righty, Jerry. And I think with that, we're about ready to go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic interview. I'm very happy with it. I'd be absolutely thrilled to have you come back at a later time, but you know, only if you enjoyed yourself. and You don't have to answer that now. <laughs> I did. I did. I'll say yes. Truly a pleasure. Thank you, Alex. All righty, guys. So, You guys have some homework to do. Make sure you go check out some of Jerry's resources. Go check out nav.com. Be sure to check out the links in the description below because there are going to be a lot of them. And with that, I will see you all next week.